you, Jane. We have gathered together to worship the Lord. Our responsive reading, our call to worship is from Psalm uh, 145. Let us read responsively. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. Let us stand together with masks and sing, Come, Thou Almighty King. Amen, and have a seat if you would. Well, I don't know if you get an extra jelly bean for getting up to come here about grace. It seems kind of counterintuitive, but here we are on the Daylight Savings Time Sunday. It's particularly good to be gathered together as God's people on this Sabbath. Thank you for being on site as we worship together, and then as we are invited through the live stream, as it were, and into the recording, into the homes and spaces of others. So whether on-site or online, by the mystery of the Holy Spirit, we are together across time and across place. A couple of things for community life I wanted to touch this morning. First, we've had some changes in the church office staff. You may have um, read about that. Dee Stahl, who used to be the voice at the end of the phone line, she's now moved to serve in coordinating our congregational care ministry. Uh, we've hired a former employee, Kendra Vanderveen. She'll be the voice you hear. And one of the things I discovered was that with her taking that new role, much of the email we're sending out gets moved to a spam folder. So if you've not received anything from us in the past week or two, check the spam filter. We figured out that was an issue. 
Now, um, heads up for some things coming. Next week, Kendra's husband, otherwise known as Pastor Aaron, who's the interim at Watershed, he will be preaching here and in Fusion next Sunday, and I will rotate with um, Aaron so that I'm in Watershed. We're kind of sharing the love and the wealth. Um, through the, so be aware that we'll be doing that next week. Um, I've been asked by Jim uh, Rhonda, who has been home with radiation, to say thanks to everyone who's called, sent letters. Y'all have been very good with that. Uh, Joan Essenberg, as she's recovering from surgery, I'm thankful that it's a ministry of the body of Christ. I encourage you, find ways as people come to mind, give them a call or a card, be encouraging. And then on a personal note, I'll share with you, this Thursday, I had my second Moderna vaccine. Did I get all that right? Um, so in about two more weeks, I will be fully vaccinated uh, and safe to move around the country, as it were. Uh, for me personally, just because, and you all know this, I'm a pretty conservative guy, I'm going to keep washing and masking until more folks have that um, vaccination. That's, I'm happy to do kind of my part for inhibiting this thing and moving on and getting out. But uh, we're moving forward. It's been quite a year, hasn't it? Boy, to learn and to navigate this, I'm thankful that because we've worked together, we've been able to get back on site safely and then minister to folks online safely. So we're figuring this out, we're moving forward, and I'm very, very thankful that we've been able to do that uh, together. The faith that's been given to us and handed down from generation to generation, living faith each generation, but consistent faith generation to generation. Let's confess that faith using question number 43 from the Heidelberg Catechism. What further benefit do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? Together, by Christ's power, our old selves are crucified put to death and buried with him so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer rule us, but that instead we may offer ourselves as a sacrifice of gratitude to him. A sacrifice of gratitude. There's the motivation, the work of the heart that expresses itself in behaviors. Our Lenten uh, hymn to remind us of this journey of Lent is, Alas, and did my Savior bleed. Let us sing.
we come to a time of our prayer. I'll dismiss any kids that have been set up for uh, children's ministry. Laura will take care of them. Um, each Sunday as we come to prayer, I'm aware that we've lived a week. There's been joys and losses, each one different. And yet we come to this moment together and before a Lord who loves us. I want to make sure that you realize that because of what Jesus did on the cross, we come into the place of prayer to a God who's anxious to see us. Not so much because of who we are, but because of what Jesus did. And so we don't have to sneak anything out of God's hands or convince him or, or promise. We walk into the place of his presence under his smile and his love. That's an extraordinary thing. So come with that encouragement of heart. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that we enter in, for however we feel, we enter in as deeply loved, fully adopted children because of what Jesus did in the cross. Your grace has reached us. Our faith has responded. And so in this moment, we come and we say, Abba, Daddy, Father, hear the hopes and needs and dreams of our heart. We pray to get together today for Heart Awake Ministries, the umbrella of all that goes on from this place. Be with our leadership, staff, but most importantly, empower all of your people as we find our place of service and ministry. We pray for Watershed and Pastor Aaron as he preaches, for their search team as they continue to look for long-term leadership, guide and speak to them. For Fusion, where I will be preaching later today. And we pray for JB and Yvonne as their family transitions. We look forward to the place that you've given him on the team of ministry that goes forth here. For Pastor Florencio and Mission, where your gospel will be proclaimed right in this place in the Spanish language in just a few hours. Thank you that we, we get to be part of your worldwide movement as we serve faithfully here. And for celebration, Father, the body, that portion to which you've gathered us, we thank you for the families, for the people, even for the circumstances as we join together and pray for those who have medical needs. Father, we pray for those who feel heavily this week the press of loss. And for those, Father, who've seen an opportunity and the energy and excitement that that means and are excited about life and things, we give you thanks that all together we are your people. Help us encourage and stand with one another. Father, in our prayer for those in authority over us, we pray for the state of Michigan and those in government positions, um, whether state or county, we pray that as they uh, meet and decide and work, that out of that would emerge your good purpose for your people. And so we pray for Governor Whitmer and Attorney General Nessel. We pray for our state house uh, representatives, Mary Whitford and Jim Lilly and Bradley Slay, and for our Senator Roger Victory. Father, thank you that you are our great king. We pray for those intermediaries 
that you would work in and through them. And Father, I thank you for this series that Scotty Smith has been on. I continue to pray these prayers of preaching the gospel to our hearts. Thank you for the gospel truth that we are never alone and will never be abandoned. Your word in Deuteronomy 31.8, where you said to your people, do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will never fail you nor abandon you. Oh, Father, thank you for the promise of your personal and perpetual presence. When I'm afraid to be alone, you won't let me be. When I want to be alone, you won't let me be. When I need you to come through for me, you will. When it feels like you're not coming through for me, you are. When I'm discouraged, you don't despise, chide me, or revile me. You enter in and engage me and encourage me. When I'm afraid, you don't say, buck up, kid. You say, I understand and I am here with you. You can trust me. Thank you, Father, for giving God the Spirit to dwell in us by your grace, that presence, that comfort, that conviction, that guidance. Father, fill our voices and bind us together as with one voice we pray just as Jesus taught his people, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. We continue through portions of the Gospel of John looking at these identity statements from Jesus. Each of these stands out in the Greek because Jesus, his voice says, I myself am. It's a very strong Greek. That's the key. Ego, me. Um, I myself am. Now, this morning I'm going to read from John chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. But I, because it's part of a much longer passage, I want to give you uh, some of that context. In John chapter 9, where this conversation starts, Jesus heals a man born blind. Someone who's been blind from birth. And the question begins with this. Who sinned? Him or his parents? And there was this false connection between when something bad happens, it's because you deserved it. Well, Jesus engages the Pharisees on that question, and they begin to examine him in chapter 9, verse 13. And verse 41 uh, of chapter 9 ends with this question about spiritual blindness. Who's blind? And Jesus says, well, basically, friends, it's you. Now, let's pick up right in John chapter 10. He continues talking with the Pharisees. They're in the midst of this heated debate over sin and the man born blind. Jesus picks up. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way, that person is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, 
and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from that stranger because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not even understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I myself am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I myself am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Let's say that again. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I myself am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is just a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I myself am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and, I, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided one with the other. Many of them said, he is demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, "Eh, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let's turn to the Father and pray. Oh, Lord, our God, thank you for your word that as a young man, John would have uh, watched and heard this. And then later in years, as you uh, reminded him and brought back to his memory, your Holy Spirit inspired and guided him in the writing of this text. In the same way you preserved these texts across centuries through war and famine and disruption. But now by your grace, uh, we can lay hold of the scroll as it were, translate, read, ponder, pray, and you've promised to meet us here. Holy Spirit, illumine the text to our hearts and minds that you might bear great fruit and be a stream of living water in us so that you can nourish those through us that you'll bring us in contact with this week. Thank you for your kindness and goodness to us. Thank you that your love for your people is bigger even than my brokenness. Guard them from my sin. But in all things, make Jesus known in deep and powerful ways. For we pray in his mighty name and all of God's people said together, amen and amen. 
Well, it's an interesting conversation, these two chapters that Jesus is wrestling with the Pharisees. It starts with doing something good. A man born blind now sees. I don't know how this happened, he says. Go ask him. And Jesus continues to interact with these Pharisees. Now, in the course of that interaction, there was some shared understanding. The Old Testament is very clear with the idea that we are the sheep of God's flock. It's a well-known kind of illustration and, and a metaphor. We are the sheep. Psalm 103, you've heard this. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Now again, for much of their time, the people of God, the Israelites, were a, a shepherding people. And so this was speaking to a metaphor of their everyday life. They would well have known this idea of the Lord as the shepherd. You know, Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 80, hear us, shepherd of Israel, speaking to God. You who led Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth. So for everybody there that day, there would have been this sense that the Lord is like it's a metaphor, a shepherd for his people who are like sheep and a flock. They would have shared that understanding. But Jesus, in the midst of this controversy, extends it powerfully in two ways that I want to look at, two things that I want to focus on for today. The first is this regular theme through this passage about the shepherd's voice. Did you hear it? The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. It's not that the sheep think back on what they were taught in Sunday school. It's not that the sheep think back on a sermon and apply it. It's not that they've got a, a great tradition or a marvelous theology or a pattern of behaviors to follow. It's they, that they hear the voice of the shepherd. They may have all those other things, not necessarily bad in and of themselves, until they become a substitute for what Jesus is pointing to here, the voice of the shepherd. Indeed, when he has brought all out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice and discernment. They will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. It's a good time to kind of stop and think about what it means to hear the voice of the good shepherd because that's a promise and an invitation that he has for us. Now, friends, I understand that when we talk about hearing voices, that can get a little spooky. But we need to see in this passage a call to ongoing relationship. And I think it speaks most powerfully to our relationship of prayer with a living God. We don't simply pray to express our desires. We pray to engage a relationship with a living spiritual person, the Lord God. I don't pray in the name of my tradition. I don't pray in the name of my degrees. I pray to a Savior who loved me. 
The shepherd's voice begins with a relationship. It will continue with a relationship. It's more than a set of principles for us to apply as we pick and choose those principles, even if it gives us principles. It's not less than principles, but it's far more than only that. It's not just a set of behaviors that we must conform to and evaluate ourselves and others on. This is about a personal God who speaks. And he speaks, I want to encourage you to think, to you, not just to the overeducated guy up front. Now, again, I recognize I'm getting close to some things that might be spooky for you. Breathe deep. It's fine. We're looking at the scripture. Hearing voices, isn't that like schizophrenia? I want to tell you, schizophrenia is a real thing and it's a painful thing, but that's not what's being talked about here by Jesus. What if I get it wrong? All of us have stories about people saying, well, God told me this. We've seen people who are speaking as if God spoke out of their own insecurities or their own pride or confession. We all have those stories. I'll tell you one of mine. I was a pastor in another community. This is nobody you would know. And we realized another church had started in our community and they were getting a lot of buzz. You hear about that on the street. You know what that's like. And this was a church where the pastor was well-known brother-in-law in our community of a TV evangelist that'll go unnamed. And in the course of the service, he would often prophesy and speak God's word. And we began to realize over time, some of the other pastors in the community, that every time somebody visited, this pastor would have a word from God for them. And as he prayed and talked and gave these words, he'd just walk up to each visitor and have a word. And then they would get a cassette tape. This tells you how long ago this was of that word as they left. And I remember thinking, boy, how do you compete with that? Here we are. We were giving away coffee mugs. Thank you for coming to First Presbyterian Church. We'd like to welcome you with this coffee mug. Thank you for stopping in at Brother Love's Travel and Salvation Show. We have for you on cassette tape, the word of God for you. Now, friends, let me tell you, we need to recognize that all sorts of confusion may surround it. But Jesus makes a promise and gives an invitation here. He says, my sheep will hear my voice. What does it mean for us right here to live in that promise, to respond to that voice? When we come to sorting through this jungle of confusion, selfish manipulation, distraction, all that can happen, I want you to think of this passage as a promise and an invitation. It's from the good shepherd. It's for you. It's for me. You see, the scripture calls us from beginning to end to enter into relationship with a God who is real and to cultivate a discerning and listening heart. How do you do that? Well, dig into God's written word. Get to know his written word. Jesus says very clearly, love thy neighbor. So when someone says, God told me to be selfish, I have reason to wonder. Dig into God's written word. 
spend time in the scripture. We have included in the sermon resources, a, a little study lesson on Lectio Divino, how to meditate in the scripture. Do that. Join a group that prays and studies, something with a spiritual focus where you can learn and grow. Find a gospel-centered spiritual director. Navigate the pathways of your own heart. Learn to repent deeply and learn to listen deeply. Don't get me wrong, friends. Let me tell you, when I pray for people, when I pray with people, sometimes when I'm in conversation, you may hear me say, you know, as we pray, what comes to mind is, does that mean anything for you as we pray? And I want to tell you, I get three responses typically. One, I'll get folks who say, oh, yes, I've been struggling with that. And then we pray or talk. Other times someone will say, not really. And then call me two or three days later and said, you know, since we were praying or talking, my heart has just been burning about that uh, picture you had for me. And then other times it just doesn't seem to be anything. So does God speak? He does. Does he want to speak to you? He does. The voice of your good shepherd, you can trust him. He'll walk with you. Learn to, to walk in that in a way that's not about you. That was one of the first things I had to do. I, I, I'm not giving it away on cassette tape because anything that God has for me, for you, I want to give to you and he will make it good. You need to find a way to stop listening to the voice of your own fears and your own insecurities, to put away the noise of the world and its distractions, and to hear the voice of the good shepherd. He will call you to see your need and respond with repentance to the need he shows you. He will call you to serve others. That's the fruit that the world sees of a, us following our shepherd. Call, he will call you to a life of generosity focused on others. That's a way to discern what's of God and what's not. If that doesn't describe your current experience of prayer, friends, no shame or condemnation. Don't feel that. Instead, hear the promise and the invitation. Jesus has more for you than you may now know. That's good news because he's a good shepherd. You can trust him. He'll lead you. So there's this call to hear the shepherd's voice, a kind of ongoing relationship. But this voice is not just a voice for us because Jesus says very clearly, I have sheep that are not of this pen. You know, the church at its worst across the years has been that which puts up a gate and says, it's us and not you. Jesus here says very clearly in verse 19, I'm sorry, um, in verse 5, he says, I have sheep that are not of this pen. They will follow my voice. We need to be open to the people not of this pen who are our fellow sisters and brothers in Christ. And we need to be committed to them hearing the good news of the gospel. For the course of my ministry, one of the unplanned, fascinating, helpful things has been my regular contact with prisons and jails. And it's been a way for me to kind of move out of my own uh, environment 
and into another. And every time I preach in a jail, I'm reminded of this, that I'm bringing good news and there may be the flock of Jesus right here. It's not about a moralistic message, you better measure up and then I'll let you in. It's going forth with the good news, the voice of God and the gospel that we might see those that God is calling to himself. The Pharisees closed the gate and said, only us. And the church, as I said, at our worst, has said, it's just us or people like us or come and be like us. They shall listen to my voice, said Jesus, one flock, one shepherd. Now, again, you enter in by the voice of Jesus. We don't go into the sheep pen of Jesus ourselves. We go in at his voice and on his terms. And whether that's as we bring the voice of the gospel to our Muslim neighbors and other communities, Ypsilanti and Dearborn, you know, my denomination, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, one of the w- ways we train our missionaries to go into closed Muslim countries is to send them to Dearborn for a year. Why is that? It's so that even the lost sheep of God in those communities might be able to turn from the darkness, that is Allah, and to the light of Yahweh shown in Jesus Christ, the true God. The shepherd speaks and he leads all these people to his pen on his terms. So the shepherd's voice is a glorious promise and invitation. It's what sends us out into ministry. But there's another great thing that Jesus says in this passage that's unique. He says, I myself am the gate. Now, if you analyze all this, it's very interesting. Jesus is saying some amazing things about himself. He's saying, I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. He's many different things. And each of these metaphors kind of gets a piece of him. But let's not miss this one. I'm the door or the gate. And let's not miss the protection, which that means. Now, all through the Old Testament, a gate was what in those ancient cities would manage who comes and who goes. It's the in and the out. It's protection. In the Old Testament, the gate was the place for legal proceedings of the community. It's where the elders would meet. It's where they would transact sales and transfers of property. Walls and gates were the first line of demarcation and protection for a city. Think back on the book of Nehemiah. The restoration of the city of Jerusalem required rebuilding the walls and reestablishing the gates. Identity, protection coming in and out. One of my favorite pictures of this protection, Jesus the gate, comes from a book called The Holy War by a writer by the name of John Bunyan. Anyone ever heard of John Bunyan? I hope so. He, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. That's how we most know him. But in 1682, he wrote an allegorical novel by this name. I love the titles that they used back then. The Holy War Made by King Shaddai Upon Diabolus to Regain the Metropolis of the World or The Losing and Taking of the Town of Mansoul. What a title, but it captures this allegory that I want to talk with you about. Now, another interesting thing, last week I ended with the story of John Newton, 
how he came to faith as the captain of a slave trading ship. And it wasn't until decades later that he came to be a leading abolitionist. And that journey, that pilgrimage of faith. Well, John Newton was about as after John Bunyan as we are to the book Great Gatsby. There's that same kind of difference. John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, would have read, certainly, the holy war in Pilgrim's Progress by his forebearer, John Bunyan. So what is the holy war about? Let me introduce this guy. This is just a, a piece from the, the front is from the original publication. It's a little hard to see. And if we could show this as the whole screen on the live stream. Perfect, Cynthia. Thank you. What you see in the middle is the man, and he's kind of superimposed on the townie of Mansoul, the town of Mansoul. In Bunyan's book, there was a person named Mansoul. And to the left, you'll see the dragon Diabolos, the word devil, there who would attack the town. But to the right, it was Shaddai, the great king's son, Emmanuel. Do you see this picking up? Emmanuel, who would leave far to the right, Shaddai's army, to retake the town of Mansoul. And what's very, very interesting for me, you can hardly see it, but I'll point it out, just to the right of the man and sitting on the right shoulder of Emmanuel is I, eye gate. And then directly across, you see an ear stapled to the wall, ear gate. And the picture, the allegory here is of a person, Mansoul, who's been taken away from King Shaddai by Diabolus, but Emmanuel and the armies of Shaddai press the war, and they have to secure ear gate and eye gate. You see where this is going, don't you? Ear gate and eye gate. Part of this great battle is built around the vision of Jesus, the gate. He becomes the gate that marks us and protects us, our identification, our identity, and our security. Jesus is the gate of our hearing. Imagine if louder than the voice of your own shortcomings, louder than the damaging voice of whatever moment in your past plays over, I'll often call it an orphan voice that says you don't deserve, you are never measuring up. Imagine if louder than that voice was the voice of Emmanuel, you are my beloved adopted sister or brother. We are all children of the great king. It takes a strong wall of identity and the gate captured by Jesus and held so that all that comes in and all that goes out is his. Jesus is the gate of our viewing that what we see, what we invest our eyes in, you know, we're learning painful things about the imprint of images. I'll talk often about the danger of various sorts of pornography. Those images imprint our memory and our heart and redirect actually the neural paths of our brain. It comes in through eye gate, makes an impact on our heart. 
But imagine to have that protected by the person Jesus and then reframed with lenses. What would it be like by the grace of God to see other people through the eyes of Jesus' love rather than our own fears or insecurity? Imagine if every person we saw, we were reminded first that they are an image bearer of the great king, that we were touched with the excitement that they may be a sheep of another pen. And this is a moment for them to come in through the person of Jesus. When Jesus is the gate of our hearing and of our viewing, and Jesus the gate of our speaking. You know, my mother had some practical advice. If you have nothing good to say, don't say anything. And there were times when something would come up and there'd be silence. And we all were wondering what bad she was holding. What would it be like when Jesus guards your hearing and your seeing and your speaking if all that came out were words of kindness and truth, things that may need to be faced? One of the things I've found in my own life is that as a pastor, it's right and good. I'll share life and sometimes people come with a wound and they'll tell me the story of their hurt. And the next time they'll tell me the story of their hurt. And the next time they'll tell me the story of a new hurt. Then they'll tell me the story of another hurt. Do you see a pattern here? And at some point I'll begin to say, you know, Jesus went to the cross so that you'd be reconciled with this person. I will listen only if you'll commit with me to go to this person and share truth in a kind way and pursue reconciliation. It's a great moment of growth. Somebody will either say, by the grace of God, we'll go and pursue reconciliation. Or somebody says, no, my hurt is too, they never say this. But what's going on in here is my hurt is too important to let go of it. I want to keep nursing that wound. Do you see how it takes the protection of Jesus, our doorway, the gateway to grace, protecting what comes in and what goes out, what we hear, what we see, what we speak. As he alters our hearts through the voice of the good shepherd, rebuilds and restores us so that our coming and going might be safe and life-giving. That's the hope of the gospel. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God and Father, how marvelous that you've loved us not because we've deserved it or earned it or one day may be worth it, but because of who you are, you loved us. And in that love, you are changing our hearts and lives. Help us to lay down our sin, lay down our wounds, our fears, and lay hold of the good news of your gospel. I'm going to ask you, we do this from time to time here in celebration. I'm going to ask you to, to just pray with me this Heart of White Gospel meditation. Let's read it together. I pray this each day to remind me and to recenter me on the truth of God at work. Let's pray together. Because of what Jesus did on the cross for me and for all humanity, I am not my own, but instead by the working of his grace, 
I am a deeply loved and fully adopted child of the great creator king. Jesus has loved me first and loved me as I am right here and right now, not as I should be or could be. He has also given the Holy Spirit to work in me, transforming me day by day into his likeness. In that way, Jesus increasingly works through me as he brings about the restoration and reconciliation of all creation. Holy Spirit, help me to believe this and increasingly see the evidence of your work in my life, values, and actions. So it is, God's love is a firm foundation on which our hearts and lives are built in place. Let's sing to his glory. And now, beloved of God, receive the blessing, the benediction from the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God the Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, may he encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen? Amen.